Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, you are so good to us. And you are Jehovah Jireh, our Lord, our provider. And we just thank you for that this morning. And I pray that you would bless our giving. Lord, whatever the amount may be, that does not matter, but that we give of a heart desiring to serve you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless those who give. And Lord, I pray that you just continue to allow us to uh, be the salt and light in this community, in this neighborhood, and to be able to share your word with others. I pray that you bless in your name we pray. Amen. An unexpected choice as we continue through the life of David. Let me ask you, have you ever had a time when you despaired of the future? Has there ever been a time when life was so difficult that you weren't quite sure if you could face another day or even the rest of the evening? A time when you were concerned about the future of your family, your children? your job, or maybe like many today, even the future of our country. A time where there doesn't seem to be any hope. Have you ever been in a time where hope is in short supply? Or has there been a time where you have put your hope and your dreams into a project, into a career, or into a person, or some other entity, only to have them fail you? Those are some dark times if you've experienced it. Depression, frustration, hopelessness sets in. It seems like we're living in those times today for many. You may even be wondering what God is doing or simply desiring God to make His will very, very clear. In today's passage, we will see Samuel is suffering from that type of despair and fear. As we open the pages of 1 Samuel 16, we're going to read that Samuel is grieving over God's rejection of Saul as king of Israel. It has been a long, difficult road over the years for Samuel. He has been faithful. He's ready to pass the prophetic torch, so to speak, of leadership. Yet here he is at the end of his life with no one to hand the baton off to. As we mentioned last week, David's life is the stuff of legends. He's one of the most popular heroes of the faith. He is revered by both Jews and Christians alike. His popularity and his fame transcends race, religion, and culture. Even today, many are familiar with David. His exploits are well known and they're used as sources of motivation, both secular and sacred. We had saw last week that David served the purposes of God during his lifetime and that he had the heart of God within him and that he was a type of Christ. His life is mirrors that of Christ. We had ended with the words of Pastor John Schultz who wrote that we could say that David reminded God of his own son, Jesus Christ, And that this was the main reason why God paid so much attention to David, this little shepherd boy. God's affection for David was based on his eternal love for his son Jesus. In today's passage, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, 
we will read of God's unexpected choice of David for the king of Israel. Let's pray to begin. Father, again, as we open your word, let it come alive to us. Let us see that it's more than just something written for history's sake and history's sake alone. Let us see that these are the words of life, that these are the words that can lead to salvation, that lead and point to Christ, our hope. And I pray that we would receive your word with gladness. And Father, that we would pay attention. And Father, that your spirit may have free reign. Let us speak those words that build up and edify. Let us be able to determine between your words and mine and that are mere opinion. And Lord, let it help us to sort out those things that are the precious jewels and the golds that you want us to hold on. And above all else, transform our lives this morning through your word. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to see that Samuel, as it opens up, Samuel is depressed. Look at verse 1. In verse 1, it says, How long will you grieve over Saul? This is God speaking here. He says, Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Samuel seems to have no hope for the future. We find here him just grieving. It's at the end of his life. Now, to understand his feelings, you and I must Try to understand his point of view. What's going on here in Samuel's life that would make the prophet of God feel depressed, that would cause him to grieve? We need to understand life from his point of view. As we reach 1 Samuel, the the book of 1 Samuel, God has been moving Israel from chaos to anarchy to order. Now, I want you to get an an idea of what's happening here. So I'm going to give you a, a brief history of Exodus, Joshua, and Judges, those books that are leading up to Samuel and Saul and now David. Now, the period of the Judges, we did this as a men's study, and it's an interesting book. Judges is one of those books that if you were to make it out of a movie, would probably be that NRC 17. It, It can be a very difficult book to read. The period of Judges is summed up in the last chapter of Judges when he writes, In those days, there was no king in Israel. In those days, there was no king of Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no leadership. There was was no uh, authority. So people just began to do what was right in their own eyes. Murder, rape, genocide, rebellions, Mob violence, child sacrifice, harsh slavery, and constant wars. These make up the book of Judges after Joshua. This is a time of anarchy and chaos. These things that were happening were just uh, beyond belief. It was a period marked by chaos and anarchy. And it was in this later period that Samuel is born. Now Samuel's ministry serves as a transition period from that area of chaos to one of order and blessing as we get into David and then Solomon. Israel will be moving from a theocracy in which God controlled and God was the leader from when he led them out of Egypt to they conquered Canaan through Joshua and through the judges. They're now going to move now to a monarchy. God has seen this coming, 
And he's made a provision for a king by giving instructions for Moses back in Deuteronomy. So take your Bibles real quickly and turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, the fifth book in the Old Testament. Start at Genesis, go five books over and you'll find Deuteronomy. God knew this was coming. In his providence, he knew there would be a day when Israel would desire a king. Knowing that this would happen, be moving those things to make that happen, God commands Moses that when as a king is appointed, he must follow some instructions. If you're in Deuteronomy 17, look at verse 18. And when he sets on the throne, this is God speaking to Moses, and he says, and when he, the king, sets on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, speaking of the Ten Commandments in the Torah, what we would know as the Torah. He shall read in it all the days of his life. Now imagine the king would have to write with his own hand the law of Moses. There's something about teaching there that's happening. And he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statues and doing them. Verse 20. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he might not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So God is saying, listen, Moses, there's going to be a day when they're going to want a king. And when that happens, this is what he must do. Now, over the years... Since Israel crossed into the promised land, and the 450 years it took to take possession of that land, they did not have a king. God led them through various military leaders like Joshua, and then through judges as we look through those two books. And during that time, a few of the judges were asked to rule as king, Gideon as one. But time and time again, they would say no. They would lead for a time, and then they would fall back into their anarchy and chaos. God would lead up a judge, and they would also then deliver Israel, only to fall in that continuous circular rebellion and leaving from the Lord. Eventually, though, Israel demanded a king. Now take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Samuel. But this time, let's look at chapter 8. We've already read part of this. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see Samuel now is getting near the end of his age, the end of his ministry. He is the last judge and the prophet. But in chapter 8, verse 4 of 1 Samuel, we read this. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And said to him, Behold, you are old. Now that's, that's a good way to start a, a meeting. I don't know if you've ever had that. But behold, you are old. Now look, at the, now look what happens here. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord in verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now Samuel is a hero of faith. We find him early in the book of Samuel as a young man given over to Eli, who also struggled with his sons in their rebellion. 
Samuel seems to be a special man that God uses in a special time of transition. However, we don't know all what happened, but as he grows, something happens and he fails as a father. Now, I want to be careful on that. We really don't know. I, I don't know if I want to say he fails as a father. Maybe we should say something happens and with his children, choose not to follow his faithfulness. That's probably a better way of saying it. They do not walk after God. And like Eli before him, his children fail to follow God, and the people look and say, who will lead us after Samuel? Give us a king. As his sons were not faithful, they desired to be like other nations. They are tired of this continually raising up a judge from time to time or a prophet. We want to be like other nations. Give us a king. Samuel pleads with them to reconsider, but as we continue in that chapter 8, look at verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, there shall be a king over us. Their desire was strong. Give us a king that we may be like all the other nations, and that our kings may be judged for us and go out before us and fight our battles. We want to be like them. Verse 21, And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. So Samuel obeys, and God leads him to a man called Saul, who is anointed king, and he seems to do well at first. But eventually we read in chapter 15 that God rejects Saul. And you can turn now to 1 Samuel chapter 15, where the question is, why does God reject Saul? Why does he reject Saul as king? Very simple. Just one word disobedience. God rejects all disobedience. We saw that why David last week, why is David accepted before the Lord? Because he's a, he has a contrite heart, a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, and a contrite heart is those things that God desires. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, look at verse 26. Saul is, is there and he disobeys the king, or disobeys God, and Samuel comes to Saul. And he says, I will not return you. At this time, Saul is saying, Samuel, Samuel, will you walk with me? Will you come before me, the people? Samuel is still a, an important prophet. It's important for Saul to be seen with him. But Samuel says, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. Now, what was it that God had told him to do there in Deuteronomy? He had told them to do all I've given you as commandments. Do not turn aside from the left or the right. But he says, you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord, and here's a sad verse. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So it's with that knowledge we can go back and read verse 1. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Samuel here is at the end of his life. His sons have rejected God. They are not faithful. The people themselves have rejected the God that Samuel has served. He was in fear of his legacy as a prophet as well as in fear of the future of Israel. 
Where will these people go? Who will serve them? Who's the prophet of God that God will raise to lead Israel? My children cannot do it. I do not have someone else here in my household that can do it. The one that I thought would lead Israel to its glory and cement them in God's will has been rejected. He has no hope. He is in his home grieving over Saul. Grieving over what Saul represented. Who can save Israel now? Who will lead this nation? Will they continue to draw away from God as they did during the ages of the judges? Have you ever been there? Feeling like there's no hope? Not sure of the future? Well, in verse 1, though, gives Saul, Lord gives Saul some hope. Look at that second part of that verse. For not only he says, why are you grieving? But look what he says here. He tells Samuel in verse 1, he says, fill your horn with oil and go. I have a job of responsibility for you. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. God here is giving Samuel hope. It is God who will choose. Not only choose, but he will provide. Jehovah Jireh, my God, my provider. And he's providing not only just for Israel, but he's providing for God himself. Before, it was Israel that was calling for a king. Give us someone to judge us. Give us someone who will go before us. So God gave them exactly what they desire. Be careful what you ask for, for you may get it. We see that today in this political arena, and I won't say any more than that. Just be careful what you ask for, for you may get what you ask for and for what you deserve. But God says, listen, there is a hope. I'm going to give you something, someone that's going to give you hope, because I am choosing this person, and I'm choosing them for myself. They will serve me, and in serving him, you will serve Israel. It is God who will choose. It not only choose, but provide. Samuel may be in despair and fear, yet God is not done with Israel. Amen? He still has a plan for them here. His chosen people, his special creation, he will not forsake them. And I share with you this morning, is God still gives hope in those dark days of the soul or those dark nights of the soul. Many of you, if I were to ask you, could give testimony how God has given you hope. Let's always be aware that God always has a remnant. God always has a chosen, one who provides for him. Not for us, but for him, to glorify him, to lift him up. Well, Samuel has the dilemma there in verse 2. He says, well, how can I go? He's still in fear. He's just still in despair. How can I go? For Saul hears it, he will kill me. And I, I think we have to understand that. Samuel was in fear in obeying God's command, so God gives him a plausible reason, but you can understand. Saul knows he's rejected. He's probably watching Samuel now with eagle eyes. He maybe has his spies throughout the land. Tell me where Samuel goes. See if he anoints anyone else. See if there's someone else that might be king. Saul wants to hold on to what he has. He knows God has rejected him. He gets the symbol even of the renting of the garment, but yet he says, I've got to hold on to him. We'll see that he does so as we continue 
through the life of David and Samuel. Samuel was in fear of obeying God's command, so God gives him a plausible reason for going as we continue. He gives him an excuse as we continue in verse 2. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you, that's a cow, and say, I've come to sacrifice the Lord. Go and tell him that you're here to sacrifice. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. Now, that's going to be an important phrase right there, so you may want to hold on to that. For he says, you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So I want you to go, and I'm going to declare to you, and I'm going to want you to anoint the one that I'm choosing to make my king. So, verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him with trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? I'm not quite sure. Maybe Samuel coming into a town unannounced without an agenda might have been something that could have been scary. Maybe they were afraid of Saul's spies. However, he said peaceably. I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So there's a whole town here that seems that's going to be in on this, so to speak. And he says, I'm going to consecrate especially Jesse's family. Now Samuel's desire is very clear in verse 6. So as you can see, here comes Jesse and all of his sons. And as they come, we see in verse 6, And when they came, he looked on Eliab. Speaking of Samuel, he looks on the oldest. And Samuel thought to himself in verse 6, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel now has no clue who is going to be. I wonder if this is God's lesson for him. Remember, he says, Go and do what I shall do to you, and I shall anoint. He doesn't tell him which son. He just says, Go and do it. So Samuel here is coming before the group. He doesn't know exactly what son, but as soon as he sees that first one, he's tall, he's strong, probably handsome. This must be the man. He assumes that it's going to be the oldest. In Scripture, that seems to be in that culture, in that time. The oldest typically became the one that was the leader. Samuel falls into the very same trap that ensnared him with Saul. You might remember in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we read about it earlier. And we get to here is the unveiling. He's already, when we read that portion of scripture earlier of Randy, and you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10 if you'd like, to kind of just get the gist of there. He's already anointed Saul, Samuel has. And he sends him on his way. He tells his family, and now this is the public unveiling of Saul as king in front of Israel. When they come to that place, they bring the people and says, we're going to show you. They bring Saul's family in front of everyone, and they look, and Saul is nowhere to be found. It says in chapter 10 of verse 23, he says, Then they ran, and they took him from there. Where was he? He was hiding underneath the sacks by the animals. So this is Saul. They finally find him. They take him out. And when he stood among the people, Saul was taller than any of the people from his shoulders and upwards. And Samuel said to all the people, now, this is interesting what Samuel says. I don't know if you caught it when we read it. Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? In other words, look at, look at how tall he is. Look at how big Saul is. This is a, a man's man. This is a, a king, king. Forgetting that you just had to go find him because he was hiding among the sacks of the animals. But look at how big and strong he is. Don't worry about his character. Just look at how big and strong and and masculine he looks. 
There is none like him among all the people, Samuel says. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Well, Saul will not live much longer, for God has rejected him. Samuel, once again, falls for the same trap. So the Lord teaches Samuel a lesson as we continue here in verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Now this is not a rejection of heaven and hell. This is just rejection as king. But here's the verse. Many of you know this portion of scripture. You probably already highlighted or have it underlined. If not, do so. For this is a, a good lesson that Jesus is teaching. He's revealing something about how God sees us. For he says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. How do we see? We look at the outward appearance. We look at their height. We look for people who look presidential. We look for people who look like they're, you know, they, they, they're, they're good on the screen. They talk well. But he says, man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the what? The heart. The Lord looks on the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. God chooses from a different criteria than man. And I ask, what is it that you look for in a person? The Bible says we need to have the minds of God when we choose our leaders, when we choose those who will guide us, when we choose those who will direct us and have rule over us. It's more than just an outward appearance. It's more than just our own agenda and what we desire. We should be seeking those men and women that want to serve Him and please Him. That's what it means to be a man after God's own heart, to be someone who serves God in His generation. So in Numbers thir- chapter fir- or verse 13, I should say, we finally see that Samuel anoints the chosen one. And Jesse made in verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. I'm in chapter 16, verse 10. So he made all seven pass, and Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? God wants someone from your sons. There must be someone left. And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. David's not even significant enough to be invited to this soiree. And Samuel said to Jesse, well, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. I must get my job done. I am here for a purpose, verse 12. And he sent, and they brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him For this is he. What does he mean? Anoint him for this is he. It's going back and saying, this is the one that I've chosen for myself. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now he's already done this once. You can almost imagine him remembering him doing over Saul. But this is the one that the Lord has chosen. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up. And went to Ramah. What's interesting here, as he is anointed, as he is the spirit rushes upon him, 
The Spirit leaves Saul as we continue in verse 14, opening a door for David into the royal court. So as we come to this portion of Scripture, we see here that David is chosen by God. He's a young man of humble beginnings. He's the unexpected choice. He's the shepherd boy, the youngest, sent, not even invited to the, to the sacrifice, but one says, you go out and watch the sheep. But he's created by God. And he's placed into this point of history by the providence of God. Yahweh, God, chooses and equips David for this office of the king. Not only does he choose him and anoint him and make him presentable, but then he also gives him the spirit. And David's life is changed from that moment on. Some for the good, some for the bad. David will experience many successes, but he'll also experience many failures, but he serves God in his generation. In the same way, you and I are chosen by God, not because of our talent, our intellect, or our stature, which I give praise to God, or potential, but because he chose to love us. Romans 5, 8, God shows us love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me give you this. I want you to write this down. This is the, the point I would want you to get from this portion of Scripture. When we enter into 1 Samuel 16, Samuel is grieving. There seems to be no hope. He's at the end of his life. Who will take care of Israel? Who will take care of his people? But here's the note. God's choice provides hope. I want you to get that. See, God chooses to provide hope. He provides hope through David. He provided hope through Gideon, through Samson, through all the judges, through Moses, and through Joshua. And when you go on through Scripture, Esther, you were created for such a time as this, or you were placed in a time like this. Throughout history, God chooses to provide hope. And it's typically within a person that He's put His Spirit on. And so in the same way as we see is that God's choice provides hope. What is your hope in this morning? If it's not in that which God chooses, then your hope is worthless. It's not a confident expectation, but it's a wishful thinking. But God's choice now provides hope, not only for Samuel, who's near the end of his life, but as we shall see, for the rest of Israel. And not only that, but it continues through the blessing of Genesis 3.15, where God promises a Savior to take care of our sin. In Psalms chapter 78, if you'd like to turn to there, you can. In Psalms chapter 78, in verse 70, the psalmist writes, He chose David his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people. From one who shepherds sheep, to shepherd his people. He has chosen him and taken him out. Israel, his inheritance to shepherd. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. God had a plan for Israel. Israel had a hard time getting there. From Moses to Joshua, from slavery to order, back into chaos and anarchy, eventually into a monarchy rejecting the theocracy of God. But still, God works, works through His people, and provides 
a hope from them. But the question I may ask is, how does this chapter help us understand those three things that David was? And I want to do that with the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 16. So let's just read through that very quickly if you could. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read in verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to Saul, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from the God is upon you, he will play it and you'll be well. You, you see the power of music. Verse 17. So Samuel said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. He's a man of valor. He's a man of war. He's prudent in speech, and he's a man of good presence, and it seems the Lord is with him. Verse 19, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. And look at this, Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. That's someone who would stand by Saul and help him put his armor on and take his armor off. He would stand in war and give him his weapons or his horn, whatever he might need. In verse 22, and Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and he played it with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Interesting, even the one chosen by God to replace Saul, God used to give Saul some comfort, even when God sent him. So how does this chapter help us understand that David served the purposes of God during his lifetime? You might recall that the three points that we looked at last week are going to be setting us up. How did David serve God in his generation? Though anointed king over Saul, David humbly served Saul. He didn't have to. He could have raised up an army and all those who saw him could have raised up and said, listen, there's a new one. You have been rejected. David now is the king. But yet he humbly served Saul, not seeking to overthrow him, not seeking to cause discord, but he served him humbly. God appointed a spirit to trouble Saul that opens the door of David to enter Saul's inner circle. It, it served two different purposes. One, as judgment upon Saul, but also to open the door for God's anointed one. David didn't seek it out. He just served in whatever capacity. And this is important. David didn't seek out this royal appointment. He just served in whatever capacity he could. He didn't apply for the job. It was his own character that wound up being his high reference. Whether it was shepherding his family's sheep or serving at the court of the king, he served. And let me tell you, that's what you and I should do. We also are called to serve God in our generation by just serving. To serve whatever capacity we are. Colossians chapter 3 says, Whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What this verse is telling us is that it doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter what your skills and your experience is. Whatever you are doing, you are doing it and serving and working as if you're serving Christ. It doesn't matter if you're working in a preschool or if you're a school teacher. It doesn't matter if you're working in a factory or in a church or if you're just hauling logs. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be singing fries. You are actually serving the Lord. Now that check may be signed by that company president or CFO or whomever, but it's from the Lord. So what do we see here? It doesn't matter what your job is. Do it for the Lord. It doesn't matter where you live, live there for the Lord. Just serve God where, when, and whatever you do. I I find so many young people, I I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And and I understand that, that big projection, that big picture you're looking for. Dave was just shepherding. He's just in the family business doing what God has called him to do. And God moves things to put David exactly where he is. Let me tell you, I don't know where you are in your life, what you're doing. And you may not like it. You may not be uh, thankful for it. But let me tell you, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Now, that's not an excuse not to get educated, not to find new work, and not to do those things. But God says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. So not only we do it to the Lord, but he also tells us to do it with thanksgiving. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. When they talked about David, they didn't talk about, oh, there's this young man who does his family sheep and he wasn't even invited to a big party and he's upset and he's grumbling and he's complaining. Every time he goes out there, there's lion, tigers and bears, oh my, and they're trying to eat his sheep and he has to keep killing them. No, he just humbly does. He's grateful for what he does. We're to serve God without complaining, understanding that how you and I respond in our marriage, in our parenting, in our working, and our playing is a testimony of Christ to those who watch us, who love us, who see our lives, and even our enemies look at our lives and see the sum of them. And do they say that they're serving God in their generation? Is their lives marked by those types of things? Well, David served God in his own generation by just being humble and being obedient as you and I should be. Number two, David was a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, David is described as a young man who is skillful in playing. He's a man of valor. He's a man of war. He's prudent in speech. He's a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. I don't know how he knew David. We don't know how he came to know all these types of things. But yet we must still remember that David was the youngest of his brothers. He's not one that was even in consideration when Jesse gathered his sons for Samuel. Yes, he is described as ruddy, which means kind of reddish in complexion. He was probably a redhead. He's kind of like uh, the other word that's used for that is in the Bible is Esau, who was ruddy. He was a man of the earth. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Ladies, he's just saying he's a good-looking man. Yet that is not why God chose him. The most important part of his character was that that the Lord was with him. It was very evident 
that there was something different and special about David. Like Joseph of the son of Jacob there in Genesis, the Lord caused David to prosper and be favored in all that he did. You and I should not be like Samuel and be fooled by outward appearances. We need to pray for discernment. Engage the heart of a person. Do they have the heart of God? Are their lives marked by the fruits of the Spirit? Is it clear that they aim to please God? You and I must remember that God chooses the weak, the foolish, and the low to accomplish His purposes. So let me ask you here today. Are you a man and a woman after God's own heart? Are you marked by one who has a heart for God? Is your life marked by the fruits of the Spirit? Is it clear to others that you aim to please God and not yourself? You say, but I'm nobody. Why would God ever choose me? Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You and I must remember that God chooses those things the world doesn't choose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 26. For consider your calling, Paul writes. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who have become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Look at verse 30. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. David was a man after God's own heart because he boasts in the Lord. It was not those things that he is not, it was his personal attributes, but it's those things that reflected the beauty of God in the same way, recognize that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God has ordained beforehand. You, God knows you. David writes the sum of your thoughts towards me. Just blow my mind in the same way he thinks of you. So David was a man after God's own heart. And thirdly, David was a type of Christ. Jesus and David were from Bethlehem. They both were shepherds and eventually wound up being kings. Both were anointed by God for a special purpose. Pilate, when he was speaking to Jesus, says, Are you a king? And Jesus says, Do you say that of yourself or do you ask that because someone told you? Pilate says, Who am I? I, I what, what type? I'm not a Jew, you tell me. And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus is a king. David was king, but Jesus is the greater king. The one who brings the final hope. He's the one who brings the final execution of righteousness and justice. In Luke, we see that Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Just as David did the same in his kingdom, Jesus does it even much greater for the kingdom of God. And just as David brought hope, not only to the aged eye of Samuel in the last stages of his life, but he also brought hope to Israel as the king who unified the nation. 
led them into the worship of God. Christ brought hope to this world. In Matthew chapter 12, stay with me just a second. He says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one with whom I am well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, speaking of Christ, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will have hope. David was a man who brought hope and justice and righteousness to the kingdom. A kingdom that for over 400 years had experienced nothing but chaos, disorder, and anarchy. He was that bright light. One anointed by God, chosen by God for God himself. In the same way, he sent his son, who was anointed by God, sent for a special purpose to bring hope to the rest of the world. Within us, he is our hope, the hope of our salvation. I would ask you this morning to take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray and respond. Let's give thanks for the hope that God gives us through his salvation. Let's be a humble people understanding that it's God who loved us first, not because of who we are or what we've done, because he chose us for himself. Let us be of courage knowing that God who chose us will also equip us. And let us be a people of action, serving God today in all that we do, in whatever we do, wherever we do it at. Let's take a moment, if you would, with every head bowed and every eye closed. In what way can you follow David this morning, knowing that we've been chosen for himself, a peculiar people, people of God's own choosing to do his will? You're a good God. We thank you for the life of David. A young man, an unexpected choice, but yet one chosen for yourself to serve your purposes, to display your heart, and to point to Christ. Father, let us find hope in that. Not that we are exact Davids, but yet in the same way you have chosen us, you have anointed us to serve you in our generation, to do your will, and also point to Christ. Let our lives be marked as David. May it be said of us that we are men and women of good valor, that the Lord is with us. Lord, let us point to the one who is the greatest hope, the salvation of the world. We pray this in Christ's name. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.